All right, here we go. First official podcast. We're going to see how this goes, see how we can run this up a little bit. First podcast. We don't really know what we're going to call it yet, and by we, I mean I'm Austin Bechtold. And I'm Joey Shields. This is our first podcast of what we're hoping to be a lot of different things that we don't really want to reveal yet, but there are major plans in sight for, well, sports and many other things. We're thinking of the sports report. Joey, it's a very, very basic name. It's, We're hoping to get come up with something a little more interesting than that. Yeah, it's very basic. We don't know if we really want to go with that or if there's anything else that we can go with, but we want to know, and we're going to try to take any feedback that we can from whoever will be out there listening. Probably all millions of people that are already going to be listening to our first podcast. Yeah, all millions of people and uh, wherever they may be. Nick Pouch might be the only one listening. But Nick Pouch and maybe we'll get a pity uh, listen from Nick Terrett. Yeah, maybe we'll get some other people to listen, but we'll see. Any suggestions are very well desired and we would very well appreciate them as well. So let's get into it. First topic, Mookie Betts trade is official as of today, as of only a couple hours ago. Mookie Betts and David Price going to the Dodgers. A lot of salary being unloaded by Boston. Red Sox get Alex Verdugo and Jeter Downs. The original trade was thought to have gone through last week, but lots of different things going on there. A medical gone wrong with Minnesota, one of Minnesota's players that they were going to give up. Joey, what is your thoughts? And tell me a little bit more about the Minnesota player that you know was the mess in this trade. You don't know? You don't know the Minnesota player? Well, I don't know the Minnesota player's official name. Don't you have some stats or something? I mean, I do have some stats. I don't know which player exactly was the problem. I don't know which player failed his medical and made this entire thing just go through the ringer. But I know that there are a lot of prospects going to the Dodgers and Red Sox. Three prospects apiece, I believe, going to each the Re- Dodgers and the Red Sox. Luke Rowley, Bruce Dar Gratterall. Gratterall. That's who was the holding up the trade. He didn't have any failed medicals or anything. They just sent him to the wrong team. He was initially going to the Red Sox under the initial deal, and now he's going to the Dodgers. Gratterall wasn't an especially great player in the majors last year. He had a 4.66 ERA for the Twins coming out of the bullpen, but he has a very great arm. 100 miles per hour, he can hit easily, and he can. De- he definitely has a lot of potential going forward. Yeah, that's the thing that I think you got to look at. The Dodgers' bullpen was absolutely awful last season, at least down the stretch and in the playoffs with Joe Kelly giving up the Grand Slam to Howie Kendrick in the National Series. Kenley Jansen, non-existent down the stretch. There was nobody that they could depend upon, nobody that they could put out there in high-leverage situations that they could feel good about going into the game. No, especially when you're paying your closer such a great lump sum of money, and he was just not out there performing well, and Clayton Kershaw being you know, Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs. Getting injured every other week, And the bullpen again. But let's go back to Betts because he's obviously the mainstay in this trade. The 2018 MVP in the American League won a batting title. Numbers were a little bit down in 2019, but still had a really phenomenal year. David Price, the Red Sox were eating half the contract, so that's one thing that the Dodgers can you know avoid a little bit of that money. But I really, really like the trade for the Dodgers here. I almost wonder if David Price was just a throw-in for the salary or if the Dodgers actually wanted him on the team. It would make sense that the Red Sox would want to dump a lot of salary because they were getting pretty close to that area where they could be losing picks for their luxury tax. 
So they might have just wanted to dump the player, but I wonder if the Dodgers actually wanted him to be involved in the trade or if he had negative value. Well, one thing I look at with the Dodgers is their rotation is so lefty-heavy. Clayton Kershaw, now David Price. They throw Julio Urias in there. Uh, I believe Alex Wood's back. Do um, Add that up with Walker Bueller at the top. I don't like that with all the lefty all the lefties in the rotation because of just the power we've seen from the right side of the plate and just the power, you know, all year that we saw last season and just that keeps it keeps growing and growing. And that's one thing that I look at, especially in Dodger Stadium. I don't know if it's really going to benefit the Dodgers, but getting a player of Price's caliber is always something that you're not going to really pass up. I mean, they're sending out Kane Tamida in this trade, who was probably just as good as Price was last year, but they're sending him out and replacing him with Price in the lineup. You're losing a righty for a lefty. You're stacking up your rotation even heavier on the left side. And you're getting back Bruce Dargraderall, who you don't even know where he's going to end up in this entire situation. They could try and push him into the starting rotation, could just keep him in the bullpen. You yeah. never know. I think he's a bullpen guy, but I think the Twins also did well in this deal. I think getting Kenta Maeda, you can throw him in your rotation, which at times was, at least the back half, was a struggle. And in the playoffs, Kenta Maeda, we've seen with the Dodgers, is a weapon out of the bullpen. His his spin rate plays up. His velocity goes way up in the bullpen. I just think that he's one of those super relievers that you like, that Nathan Avaldi type for the Red Sox when they go win the World Series. I think he's someone very valuable to a team. And the Twins, who had a phenomenally great season a breakout season last year i think they're really going to be able to benefit from him and be able to use him in multiple different ways i mean obviously they gave up a lot for maeda too they gave up a top 100 prospect in gratterall luke riley had a lot of nice numbers down there and uh, they also gave up this number 67 pick in the draft in uh, in june so they gave up a lot for him and they're hoping for a lot of return as well that sure is a lot now one deal that didn't go through is the Dodgers and the Angels. Now, the Angels were supposed to be a part of this deal. It was believed to be a separate kind of trade, but the pieces never ended up working out. The Dodgers were supposed to send Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling to the Angels. That was the big headline here. And the deal has just fallen through as of today because the Angels, the Dodgers did not get the pieces that the Angels wanted in the deal um, that they were going to get back. And deal falls through. Jock Peterson stays and again creates another log jam in the Dodger outfield. They need to get rid of Jock Peterson. They just have so many starting caliber players out there. And it's great to have a guy like Jock Peterson on the bench, but that might not sit well with his ego. That might not sit well with him as a player. He might want to get into that starting lineup and it might cause problems for your team. That's already has a lot of big ego players on it as well. I think it's, uh, I would have loved it for the Angels. You throw Mike Trout. Justin Upton and Jock Peterson in a lineup. I mean, your pitching's not great, but it creates added protection for Mike Trout. And I think just it would have been a great trade for the Angels getting a guy like Stripling too, throwing your back into your bull, back into your rotation, or even the front end of your bullpen. The Angels' rotation has always been really weak. Yeah, too. it's always one of the weakest parts of their team. So getting a guy like Stripling could have really helped them out. This yeah, season. now Stripling's not a guy you're going to put at the top of the rotation by any means, but he's still a solid contributor, four or five starter that you know puts out solid innings and can eat innings for you. Yeah, he's a good starter on a good team. He's not going to let you down in the playoffs. He's going to at least give you four ERA ball throughout the season, which is really good when you're looking at a four or five starter. Before we go on to the next topic, I want to go back to the Red Sox. So they get Verdugo and they get Jeter Downs. Verdugo will slide right into the outfield, um, just replacing Betts' spot with Benintendi and Jackie Bradley Jr. 
But the interesting piece that I look at in this is Jeter Downs. I did not think the Red Sox got nearly enough in the trade, the first proposed trade. I think they still didn't get nearly enough. I mean, you're never going to get nearly enough when you trade an all-star caliber player, MVP like Mookie Betts. But getting Jeter Downs, who was absolutely phenomenal in the minor leagues, especially last season, I think he's a 25-steal guy, hit over 20-plus home runs, drove an 80. I think you could put him at second base. He was in double A last season, so there's a potential that if the Red Sox push him forward, he could be in the big leagues by midseason. Put him in between, put, put him with, you know, the guys that the Red Sox have in the infield with Bogarts and Devers. I think it's a phenomenal fit, especially with Dustin Pedroia more than likely not coming back for Boston. The Red Sox were going to have uh, issues with money. Milky Betts probably wasn't going to re-sign with them. He, they weren't going to find the money to give him. So getting rid of him and bringing back a quality player like Verdugo as well as a quality prospect like Jeter Downs, it's not the best return and it's not what you would have gotten last year, but it's still worth it given you weren't going to get him back in a year or two anyways. Yeah, he wanted to test the free agent market, so that's just the business of baseball. Now let's move on to taking care of business. That's what the Kansas City Chiefs did in Super Bowl 54. A week ago today, the Kansas City Chiefs won their first Super Bowl in 50 years. We were both watching it. We were texting back and forth about what we thought the game was. We both wanted a shootout. We didn't necessarily get it, but what were your overall thoughts on the game, Joey? I thought it was a great game. There are a lot of people who thought it wasn't that great of a game. It was low scoring. We were expecting a shootout between a run-heavy 49ers and a very pass-heavy Chiefs team. And Damian Williams ended up coming out with multiple touchdowns. It didn't end up being a Patrick Mahomes game. He had multiple interceptions, but it was still a good game to watch. And the halftime show is pretty good, too. Yeah, I didn't really watch much of the halftime show, so I kind of missed out on all the excitement. But I think Damian Williams, you know, touchdown, 104 yards rushing. We got the game on right behind us right now. He's the Chiefs trick play from the Rose Bowl in, what, the 40s um, as the Chiefs pulled out near the goal line. I really love the uh, creative spin, too. They didn't just walk over in a position. Yep. They had to do the pirouette to get there. It was pretty cool. This wasn't I liked a, watching it. This wasn't a Philly special, let's trick you out. Let's spin around and, you know, move Patrick Mahomes behind the guard. I think it's great seeing Andy Reid win a ring. And I thought it was very unique how Kansas City won this game. The One of the focuses coming in was the tight ends are going to play a huge role. The tight ends were non-existent. I did not see any of them out there. Travis Kelsey and George Kittle didn't play nearly as large roles as I thought. He had a massive game against the Saints and helped them get the win, but he just didn't do much in the Super Bowl, and he could have gotten them the win, but he just didn't show up. No, and like I said, I think it's really great. The players coach, Andy Reid, gets his ring. It's, you know, the most wins without winning a Super Bowl. It's great to see that. And, you know, say what you want about Kansas City. I know we're going to get into them a little bit more deeper later on. Patrick Mahomes is phenomenal. And San Francisco's play calling at the end of the game was just not great with a 10-point lead. They were playing way too conservative. This is a Patrick Mahomes-led offense on the other side of the field from you. We've seen them come back from 24 against Houston. They came back in every single game. They played in the playoffs. They were always on the verge of coming back, and you were playing way too conservative knowing that they, in like five minutes' time, could turn that around on you. They did, in five minutes' time, pretty much, score three touchdowns. You should have known that they could come back in the San Francisco 49ers blew the game. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes, MVP of the game, Tyreek Hill, out over 100 yards receiving. What do you make of Jimmy Garoppolo? Because 
just not a great performance, especially late. He missed Emmanuel Sanders on a deep route with a couple minutes left to go in the game that would have, you know, kind of delivered the shootout that we were looking for, which would have gave the ball back to Mahomes. And, you know, who knows what would have happened. It would have been very exciting with under a minute or so to go. I think he had a poor performance. And I think that Kyle Shanahan, once again, blew a late lead and went away from what his offense is focused on, which is running the ball and controlling the clock, which they which got them to this point, and they did not do that late in the game. I mean, a loss is inexcusable. The miss by Garoppolo throwing to Emmanuel Sanders, he was wide open. He had the touchdown. It, you just needed a decent throw. It didn't even need to be perfect. And you overthrew him. He overthrew him by four or five yards. It wasn't close. And Grant Sanders laid on the ground for like 30 seconds, it seemed, just pounding the ground because he knew it was there. He knew they could have taken the lead with a minute left in the game. Jimmy Garoppolo is never going to be the type of quarterback that can carry your team to the Super Bowl. He just needs to not be awful, and in that game, he was awful at the end, especially. Yeah, true disappointment on San Francisco's side, but I think we can both agree that we don't know when, but it's very likely that both these teams at some point reach the Super Bowl in the next five years. They're very good teams. They don't have a lot of cap issues. The Chiefs should have enough cap room to keep all of their key contributors. They have a ton of cap room. They don't have to pay Mahomes until after next season. I mean, they will likely give him the extension this season just because you don't want to risk uh, angering a player like Patrick Mahomes. But I just think that he's going to be the MVP at least two more times in the next five years, and he's going to lead them to another Super Bowl. Oh, wouldn't that be crazy? Maybe we have another Tom Brady on our hands. Hopefully there's no Deflategate or Spygate involved there, though. No cheating out of him. Yeah, let's hope not. But let's go on to somebody that did cheat, and we did move on from it, though. Charling Marte, we're not going to talk about his PEDs. That was how many years ago. But he was traded from the Pirates a couple weeks ago to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Marte... The last member of the 2013 wildcard team from the Pirates on the roster is now gone. Joey, what do you make of the trade? And what do you think of the Pirates officially moving on from that team that got them back to the promised land, at least to the playoffs? Yeah, that team was is probably going to be fondly remembered by everyone in our generation. Yeah. It was the first time we'd seen the Pirates in the playoffs. They had 20 losing seasons in a row, not making it there. We finally make it back, and then five years later, we ship the entire team out. None of them are around anymore. I like the trade. We definitely could have gotten more than we did, but we received Brendan Malone, the number 33 pick in the draft last year. Very projectable arm. Definitely has a chance of being a two or three mm. starter in the rotation. And Leover Paguero, who's a shortstop, and he's also very projectable. But they're both very young. They're both 19. Yeah, they're, they, you don't have a lot to go on, but they have a ton of potential, and they could certainly be contributors later down the line. Yeah, Mar- Marone, um, Brendan Malone um, was considered by many an option for the Pirates when they ended up picking Quinn Priester with their first, uh, with their first round pick. And when I look at this trade, I just think to myself, this is full-scale rebuild. They're not going to admit it. They're not going to you know, tell the fans this. I think it's a new brass. I think they're going to be a little bit more honest. Um, ben Charrington's not a guy that really likes to talk. He, he loves wordplay, though. He said yeah. we're going to build, not rebuild. We're just I think that build. means anything to us Pirates fans. Well, I do think... And, you know, he stated it. I do think there is talent on this roster. I, I do. I think, you know, not many people can agree at this point. I think Cole Tucker still has the potential to be something special. I like his personality. He's a switch hitter. He can run. I think it's a shortstop position. I mean, he's very valuable. I think the stroke um, hitting-wise is going to come. 
And, you know, very likable guy. Could be the new face of the franchise. And, you know, like I see a lot of people, you know, give him a, little, a, lot of, um, a lot of heat because, you know, he had a bad season last year. What about everybody that rode off Kevin Newman in September when he hit, like, 120? I was one of the persons that said, ah, Kevin Newman can't play. I don't want to see him. He comes back and hits 320. Yeah, but Kevin Newman, you only had one month of sample size. Cole Tucker came up numerous times throughout the year, and he didn't produce in any of them. Well, Cole Tucker came up early and was good at first, then he really tailed off, and then came back later in the year and was, you know, he was okay. He was fixing a lot of things in his swing. I think he's got potential along with, you know, maybe Josh Bell, if he can be more consistent at the plate, more of what we saw in the first half than the second half. Gregory Polanco, can he get back healthy? This is a big if. What are you going to do in terms of catcher? You have Jacob Stallings, and that's really it. And Luke Maley, you have John Ryan Murphy. We you, have a bunch of guys that are all AAA catchers that are going to be competing for a spot as our starting catcher this year. And do you really want to have, like, Jacob Stallings as your starting catcher? Obviously, the preferred answer is no. But when I look at it, there's a lot of holes on this team. But I really think the bullpen can be very special with... Keone Kella, Kyle Crick, if he can get back. Edgar Santana and Chad Cool are back from Tommy John. Nick Birdie's back, hopefully healthy for the first time in a while. There's a lot of aren't. Chris Stratton, his spin rate's been phenomenal, and maybe they can be able to get his control down a little bit. If Dovey Dust never ask us, can ever find out how to use his 100-mile-per-hour arm, he might get there as well. If he can ever use a GPS to find the strike zone, that would be very you know well-received by Pirates fans and definitely by his brass and Pirates brass, but... There's potential. I think the first thing you got to do is you got to figure out can Cabrian Hayes hit? Can Cole Tucker hit? Because we know they can play defense. And what are you going to get out of the pitching? Can Mitch Keller develop and be something? Can Stephen Brault be a two way player? Maybe. One of the things that the old regime wanted to try out. Now, those guys are gone. I think that this team, as we're going to talk what the record could be a little later. I think they got some potential, not this season, but next season and further beyond because of guys like O'Neill Cruz. And the guys that are 21 and under in the pipeline, they got a lot of talent that we could be see flourishing in the years coming coming up. Two years down the road, we could have Travis Swaggerty manning center field. We could have O'Neill Cruz wherever he ends up in the Pirates positional rotation. The most intriguing prospect in all of minor league baseball. 6'6 six, six shortstop. You don't know what that's good, they're going to do with him because he can play anywhere pretty much yeah. on the field. Yeah, you don't know what you're going to get. And another thing we don't really know what we were going to get until this week, this weekend, the XFL is back after, what, 20 years of being off? 2001 was the year it started, and 19 years later it's back, and it's probably better. We yeah, it's that, really. better. So attendance in Saturday's games were around 17,000, which, I mean, that's a lot more than they got in the Alliance of American Football last spring. The game earlier today was at MetLife Stadium, and the entire lower bowl was filled. Obviously, they're not going to fill the entire stadium because right. it has a capacity of 70,000 or so. But the entire lower bowl was filled, and that's pretty good for a startup league that doesn't really have a ton of traction at the moment. Yeah, so games we saw Saturday were Seattle, D.C., L.A., and Houston. Sunday were Tampa and New York, St. Louis, and Dallas. Every home team won except Dallas with St. Louis taking the win on the road. St. Louis, they get another, I guess you can call it professional football team, as you will. Um, lots of close games. I think having it on, having games on ABC, Fox, ESPN 
it's really going to be able to promote the brand of the XFL and really get the name out there, which I think is intriguing because the alliance you saw on when they tried to start up early, you saw it on like TNT and streaming online, which, I mean, you can't expect people to watch if they have to look and search and try to find your product. There's a lot of problems with the XFL. They need to gain traction. They need to gain people who are going to stick around. And one of the key problems is it's supposed to be an offensive-driven league, and yet the games that we saw today on Sunday were not very offensive at all. One was 15-9 in the final score, yeah, what and the was, other was 23-3. The Dallas over-under was set at like 54.5. Yeah, something like that, and the final score was Total up to 22 points. Yeah. 30 points under the over-under. So it was it was a little pathetic offensively, especially for a league that made so many concessions to the offense. The comeback period, the kickoffs, everything was meant to make this league offensive, and it just wasn't there today. Yeah, and I mean, it is only the first week, so we'll see how in terms of, you know, game calling, play calling goes, and if people will still continue to go to these games. Yeah. ESPN pegged Landry Jones as the XFL's star player, and then he didn't even play in the first week. So it, you just need to draw that fan base back for next week. Uh, yeah. not. <laughs> I mean, the football's okay. What do you think of the rules in terms of – I know we talked about this a little bit off the air. The kickoffs, the players are down near like the 35-yard line, and once the guy returning the kickoff catches the ball – is when everybody starts playing. All right, here we go. Start moving. And if you kick it into the end zone, it's a penalty. I mean, I, I, they moved the kicker back. The kicker now kicks from the 30, so it's a little easier to avoid kicking it into the end zone. I think it's better for player safety. You don't have any more violent collisions. You don't have the plays that make you like cringe at the, how hard these guys are hitting each other. They're lined up five yards away from each other. And sure, it looks odd, but I think it's for the in the long run, it's probably better. And I kind of want to see it in the NFL just to help player safety. One thing really interesting that I you know, was thinking about, the NFL wants to eliminate the kickoff. The XFL is encouraging the kickoff. Yeah. It's a lot of interesting components. They just need to get it all together with the rules. It obviously could work out. It may not. It may just be too gimmicky for some to watch. Pat McAfee was saying on the broadcast of St. Louis and Dallas today, or it might have been the earlier broadcast on Fox, actually, that it was ESPN. But the point is he was saying how hard it is to kick the football. The XFL footballs are different than the NFL footballs to kick, which I thought were interesting. I mean, obviously they're visually different, but they're also like – Physically different. Yeah, I mean, I don't. We don't really know how much different they really are, but I mean, I find that really interesting because kickers were missing field goals that you know are not that hard to make in the NFL. They're obviously not NFL kickers either. Like Matt McCrane was cut from the Steelers roster after the preseason. He's one of the best kickers in this league. Yeah, so. and he was out there, so you know that's pretty interesting to see. I found that you know kind of humorous. Matt McCrane one game with the Steelers, and here he is in the XFL. One other rule that I wanted to talk about: after you score a touchdown. You can either go for one, two, or three. And um, eh, I, I don't know if I necessarily like that. because it's a little too gimmicky for me, personally. I want the option there to kick the extra point. I agree. I'm okay with the whole one, two, three system because if you're willing to go one down from the 10-yard line, you do deserve three points if you get it. I just don't like the fact that you don't have the ability to kick the extra point. It makes things so much more difficult, and I think teams would go for that option more if it were available. Well, I don't like the nine-point touchdown, which it basically is if you get six and then three more. Um, if I don't know. I also think 
One thing that NFL teams do that is conservative, you know, let's say you're down seven, you score a touchdown, and you kick the extra point to uh, tie the game. If you go for two, obviously you can win the game. In the XFL, it presents another level that you can go for three and either tie the game or win the game. So uh, that's another interesting aspect of it. And I mean, teams typically aren't up by eight anyways. Right. So no one's really going to go for three in a game, like in a clutch game situation. But I just think the option that it's there it allows teams to come back if they're down by a huge amount. If a team's down by like 16, you can get back yeah. two plays. Another thing that's interesting um, before we move on, the XFL in the last two minutes of the half will stop the clock on um, if you catch the ball inbounds, go down, clock stops, and they run five seconds off the play clock. I, why? I mean, I guess it's increased... I kind of get it because you want to increase scoring within two minutes. Like we saw San Francisco with like 50 seconds to go with their own 30-yard line, not try to advance the ball further and just take some knees um, after getting a penalty with Travis with um, George Kittle with a push-off down the field. But I think it's an interesting you know motion that the, that the XFL is trying to make and just trying to increase scoring any way you can. Yeah, in the second game t- of today's slate, both teams scored in that two-minute period. It's obviously something you would n- not really see in the NFL, especially in the first half. I think it's something make, it makes the game interesting, but I don't know if it's really good for the game, especially how much it slows it down. Yeah, it does slow it down. It's something interesting to watch. And, hey, XFL season only one weekend. Let's see how it progresses. Now let's go to the Penguins. Pittsburgh Penguins are 34-15-5. Having a great year. 73 points. For a team that's been injured all season long, they've really been battle-tested and are only a few points behind Washington in the Metro with a game in hand. They've lost every single one of their key contributors for a couple of games, save the goaltenders. It's, it's been an interesting situation to watch because everyone is praising us for it, and normally you don't see teams getting praise for, across the league. But the fact that they're able to do as much as they are, second in the Metro Division, despite all these injuries, is pretty impressive to watch. Yeah, it is impressive. And I think, you know, Crosby only scored his 10th goal the last game. I mean, it's phenomenal play by, you know, guys like Brandon Tanev, who a lot of us thought, you know, the contract that the Penguins gave him was too long of a contract and had too much money on it. You've seen John Marino play absolutely phenomenal this year, a rookie at the defense position. The, the scoring has been there. Brian Rust, another phenomenal season. He's having a career year. And, like, it's just incredible to see when guys like Crosby and Malkin have really not been there, and now Jake Ansel's hurt. You call guys up from AHO, and they're instantly making an impact on this team. Teddy Bluger has become one of the best centers on our team. Yeah. And he wasn't even expected to make an impact on this team at the beginning of the season. You see guys like Bluger and Jello. Lafferty getting regular playing time and despite the fact that they spend most of their time in the AHL and they'd probably be in the AHL on other teams if it weren't for all these injuries. Yeah, the Bluger, Aston Reese, Tanev line has been phenomenal. Usually the fourth line, they've moved up to the third line. Still generating offense, still playing very well defensively. I do think that the Penguins need to go out and get somebody at the trade deadline. Trade Galchenyuk, maybe trade Bukestad, who's got some money left on the books this year and next year. Get another top six winger. And defensively, just get healthy. I just think you got to add one top six winger, and that's it. And I would hold off on trading a first-round pick, maybe even a second, because 
Bengals got to start drafting some kids that are going to come up and be able to play and replace Crosby and Malkin whenever that time comes, you know, six, seven years down the road. Trading Alex Galchenyuk in a later round pick for a guy like Jason Zucker could really make an impact on this team. You're trading a guy who's not really producing much in a later round pick for a guy who could be a top six winger on your team and help guys like Crosby and Malkin just stay healthy and not have to put all the production on the ice. Yeah, now let's move on to the hardwood. The NBA lost a legend not too long ago, Kobe Bryant. We, even though we know it was a long time ago, we still want to talk a lot about it a little bit more. Joey, what did Kobe mean to you, and what was your reaction to the tragedy? As I grew up, I wasn't really a big NBA fan, but I still knew Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant was one of the most recognizable people in the entire world. Yeah. Forget the U.S. If you show a, p- a picture of him to somebody in China or your Ukraine, they know who he is because of the global impact that he had as an NBA player. He's one of the greatest legends to ever play in our game. Even if I wasn't a fan of him while as I was growing up, I was still heartbroken to see that a guy like that could be lost in the snap of a finger. Yeah, it was so sad, and I just watched coverage all day of it. My dad asked me at one point, why are you still watching this? It's so sad. We were just... Everybody was just sitting by their TVs, like, waiting for something, waiting for more information, just hoping that they'd see through some kind of camera. Kobe just appear, just walk out. You know, Kobe Kobe doesn't die. Kobe's not supposed to die. But it really just shows you got to cherish life no matter what. I remember watching um, Kobe's last game, begging my parents, let me stay up, let me watch Kobe's last game where he dropped 60. Just a great dude. And we really saw Kobe grow up in front of our eyes in the NBA and just a mentor to so many people. And, you know, the the phrase girl dad's been going around. Just a phenomenal person. And he was really battle-tested. And he's really a mentor that people can look up to. And people of all countries knew him. He connected entertainment and sports. And, you know, he won awards outside of the NBA. and He won that Oscar. He won an Oscar. Documentary. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, he did so much to impact not just people and fans in the league, but just everyone in general, and Kobe will always be missed. Every single team gave their own personal tribute to Kobe. I think this just speaks to how special he was as a player. You had guys crying on the court. Tim Duncan, who's normally pretty stoic, was crying on the court side as they were doing the 24-second uh Shot, or, uh, shot clock violation. And the eight-second uh, backcourt violations to honor Kobe's two numbers. It was just special to watch, and as much as you hate to see it, it's good to see that the NBA can be unified in this tragedy. Everyone came together. Now let's move on as we close out the show to the predictions. we got a couple predictions here, then we'll close out with our shout-outs. Predictions. Will the Penguins win the Metro? In your opinion, Joey, what do you say? Eventually, these injuries have to stop. We can't keep getting injured forever. It's just not possible. And when those injuries do stop, I think we have a pretty good chance of overcoming the caps for the first spot in the Metro. Yeah, I think the Penguins have a chance. Do I want them to win the Metro? Honestly, no. Um, I'd rather have the the Caps hold up another President's Trophy if they really want to. The Penguins have been nice and cozy in that two spot for a while now. They won their two cups there. I'd be completely okay with the Penguins not winning the Metro. But, you know, home field, home ice is nice. But I just think that someone else might get injured and might jeopardize the situation. But the Penguins have had a phenomenal year. They'll get by, and no matter what, I think they're in great shape come playoff time. So, next one. How many games do you think the Pirates will win? Personally, I think they're going to win 68 games. I just... 
I don't see them getting that 70 win mark, and I don't see them getting anywhere close to being a 500 team this year, especially with just some of the stopgap players that they're bringing in. They're not really bringing in any notable names on the free agency market. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be as bad as everybody thinks. I really don't. I think I think they're going to go 78 and 84. I think the team is going to be, you know, average, below average, not that great. But I think they're going to get some performances from young players that they didn't really expect. And I think the pitching is going to be better under a new staff, under Shelton's guys, Oscar Marine coming in, working with the pitching staff. Um, another year of Eckstein with the hitting coaches and everybody in their organization. I just think that the new change in philosophy is better. Everyone can admit that something new had to happen and change was needed. And I really like to see it in the Pirates organization. And I think, you know, they're not going to be a 500 team by any means, I don't think. But I think the potential is there to, you know, start creeping up and getting better and better as Ben Sherrington will improve this roster. Obviously, my prediction can change because there's still time left in free agency. There's still players that are left out there. But if we run an outfield out there of Brian Reynolds, Gregory Polanco, and Guillermo Heredia, it's just not going to work. We need more yeah. players out there on the field. Especially because you don't know if Polanco will be healthy. Next one. If this team stays healthy, they got a good chance at this. Will the Chiefs be the next NFL dynasty? I think they are. I don't see how they can't be. Patrick Mahomes is probably the best quarterback in the league. I think he is. I think he's better than Lamar Jackson personally, but that's up for debate. I don't think there is much debate. Their defense showed massive signs of improvement. Their their defense held them back in Patrick Mahomes' first year. But this year, they were able to shut down some teams. In the second half of games, they were completely obliterating teams. Houston didn't score a single point after the first quarter, I think. Maybe they scored a field goal or something. Yeah, it was they a shut goal. them down. They shut down Tennessee. They shut down San Francisco in the second half. They just showed that they do have what it takes to be a really good team. I was really surprised by that defense of Kansas City, and I think that they're going to be you know, part of the key because Mahomes is not going to be able to carry the team on his back forever. But I do think as well that they are the next dynasty. I think Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL right now. I think after that Super Bowl performance that you know he just is, and I'm not going to really doubt him anymore. I'm not going to doubt Andy Reid, so I think they got a really good chance. So let's go to the shout out. So every show, I like to shout out one person. Not well, not really one person, but just one specific group or person, um, personally and professionally, in terms of just you know give them a little shout out and say thanks. Joey, you want to start first? Uh, I'd like to shout out Austin Bechtold, my co-host on this podcast, for making the dean's list in his first semester. Pretty oh, impressive thank you. stat there. I I couldn't do it. At I that, appreciate so. that. Um. So do you have any others? I'm all, I'd also like to shout out the XFL. The fact they weren't nobody was expecting much of them this first week, and yet they were still bringing in t- over ten thousand people for each of these games. They outshowed the AAF. They outshowed our expectations, and I think they have a chance of sticking around at least for a couple years. Yeah, both team, both games on Saturday had around seventeen thousand. Uh, it's 17,000 people in attendance. So one of my shout-outs does, in fact, as well go to the XFL. I think, I, have a ch- I think they have a chance, I think, because there's a lot of NFL people that are really, you know, they're really liking what the XFL is doing. And I think they have a chance with just the players they have, the coaches, and the fact that it's being broadcasted on a, larger major, on a lot of major broadcast companies. I think they got a chance there. Also want to shout-out my family, my mom, my dad, and my whole family. Thank you for all the support you give me, and also want to shout out the new podcast. We're going to see how where we can take this, and hopefully there's many more to come. Hopefully it goes pretty far, I'm hoping. We'll see how it goes, but we will see you next time. I am Austin Bechtold. And I am Joey Shields. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see if we can come up with an official name eventually. Who knows how soon that'll be, but we're hoping soon. Hopefully for the next one. That would be the goal. So 
Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.